Welcome to What Is It About the Weather, where once a week we get together and explore the many ways the weather weaves itself, intertwines itself, shoves itself, pushes itself, and sometimes every so often sneaks itself into our everyday lives. I think we're going to hit a little bit on that sneaky side this week. But before we get too far along, let me say, as your host, Mark Like, I want to thank you for those that are supporting the podcast. Of course, particularly those that are helping us stay cash flow neutral over on Patreon or PayPal. But certainly those that talk about it, tweet about it, Facebook about it, Instagram about it, email about it, share in whatever way you share, rate us, give me feedback, show ideas, whatever ways you're looking at the podcast and saying, huh, this is something I can do to help. Well, thank you. As I work through this Thanksgiving weekend here in the U.S., it just it's a time to pause and say, you know, it's sometimes it's nice to think about this aspect or that aspect and focus on it, but in a broad sense, to all of you who have ever taken the time, whether it's been a while or whether you did it just last week, it is appreciated, and it goes a long way in helping keep the podcast moving forward and fresh and new and all those wonderful things. You know, there were a couple things this week that kind of caught my eye. One of them was actually last week that I caught it, but I was running along and I didn't want to get into it. So, you know, we're in this disruptive age, right? I think we'll look back. Some people call it the social media age, but I do think disruption is is in focus. And it's not a new term. You know, you hear about industries being disrupted and certainly some high profile ones like taxi where you got the Uber Lyft thing or, you know, just you know, ride sharing all that Airbnb and the stay space, hotel, whatever it might be. And there's others that have been a little less obvious. I mean, we certainly have some in the weather enterprise. I've talked about a few of those before. But one in the weather enterprise I hadn't really thought about. Umbrella sharing. And I'm sad to say, the first known large entity doing this in China has... Uh, had to fold up its umbrellas and call it a day, partly because they don't have many umbrellas left. Fairly, people were not returning their umbrellas. I don't know what the financial model was, but maybe the penalties weren't strong enough or the daily rate wasn't enough to encourage people to return them, or they just found it cheaper to hold on to this umbrella they got. It's interesting because China's seen some other things. They're seeing some consolidation in the bicycle sharing space, which I, th- I thought would do well there. Uh, I saw it in Chile a lot in the Santiago area where different municipalities, it, it wasn't companies necessarily that were doing it. And it seemed to work pretty well. And in certain locations, you think it would be a, a great setup, but apparently they had a few too many people uh, trying to get into that business. But the, the umbrella one, this is the only one I knew about, and, well, it is no more. So we will see where the next great disruptive player is. Like I said, there's some out there. There's some hopes. Not sure which is going to be the, we look back at the weather business, the weather enterprise down the road, where the disruption was. Certainly wasn't in this podcast. I can tell you we're not going to turn over anything, but we are going to keep our eyes on things like disruptions. Now, the other thing this week, those that don't know Atlanta very well, we we have a facility here. It's been here for a while called the Georgia Dome. And a lot of folks will know it because it's hosted Super Bowls and a variety of other sporting events here in the U.S. So most people in the U.S. will have likely heard of it. 
people around the globe? Well, it hosted the Olympics. A lot of a lot of uh, events from the Olympics. I have seen Olympics there. I've seen a Super Bowl there. I've seen a lot of things there. I've been fortunate enough to do that over my time. So it's a very high-profile venue. Been around for a long time. Well, not really, actually. It's only 25 years old. Time for a new one, apparently. Can't renovate. We got to tear down and rebuild. And I know it. maybe it's not set up for what you want to do with boxes or screens or whatever it is. But my impression, if I remember the math right, the new one cost like five times the old one. I, I just don't get it. I don't understand why we tear down these. But, you know, it really doesn't matter what I think. In any case, this week was its teardown. And of all people, the Weather Channel had a camera going to cover the demolition. And they had this feed going, and it was going, and it was going. And sure enough, right before the demolition. Now, we have a a system in Atlanta called MARTA. And MARTA is our mass transit system. Stands for Metro Atlanta Rapid Transit Authority. Kind of got a core rail system and some buses that go around. Now, it's a little difficult in Atlanta with as sprawling as it is. You know, it's not a dense urban setting. So the system has had its ups and downs. But one of the knocks for a lot of people is the buses don't come around often enough. And so it makes it a little more difficult to use. Now, if things hold to a schedule, yeah, you can plan around it. But, you know, there's challenges with that. Traffic can upset upset things. Rails, not as much. But with buses, you know, (laughs) if you got to be somewhere and you got to count on it and you can only have this one bus come so often makes it a bit tricky. But in any case, so no one really anticipated there was going to be a bus. And for 40 minutes, apparently, this feed went by without a bus being in front of the camera. Sure enough, right as they were getting ready to implode the dome, a MARTA bus pulls up. Now, you could see a little bit of it above the bus, but it essentially blocked the whole view. So all that effort yeah, makes you wonder, should they have maybe picked a different spot? But I think they were trying to have a good venue point, good vantage of seeing the whole thing. It was just kind of humorous. And being how Atlanta has kind of fallen short in the sports world on more than one occasion, the Marta bus and it being a sporting venue, it just has kind of become an internet meme, and it's kind of humorous. Show notes if you want to want to see a little bit more about that, but kind of a funny event that took place this week. Now, that event also had a little bit to do with what we were going to talk about. This subject was not even on my radar screen. No pun intended, I guess, in a weather sense. Wasn't even thinking about it. But there were a couple of events this week that just had me shaking my head. It's like, really? Did you look at the weather forecast? Did you think about it? You know, I know that with so many things, we, we tend to look for what we think of as the visually severe weather, right? Or temperature severe, maybe. Something that's a, an abrupt change. and That's what catches our attention. But there are some people that really ought to be paying attention to the weather a bit more often. Now, you've heard me mention high-pressure systems before, particularly when we talked about some heat waves and about, you know, clear air and how heat waves can kind of sneak up on you and all that kind of stuff. But high-pressure systems in general has not been a focus of this podcast because, well, quite frankly, it usually is an indicator of fair weather. tends to be lower humidity levels. Sometimes it's even ushering in colder air. And... Most people just don't think about it. Most people go, oh, is it, there's not a front coming through. There's not a hurricane blowing through. So, so often people get hung up about things that happen around low pressure, right? Understandably. But high pressure, you know, northern hemisphere, 
clockwise, southern hemisphere, counterclockwise, these big broad areas do their thing. Like I said, a lot of times an indicator of very fair, clear weather, not much going on. And part of that is the science, of course, behind it. Now, there are a few things let's talk about with the science. Just to put things kind of in your head. I, I really don't want to do a deep dive on the science. I could. I could spend multiple episodes on the boring things of high pressure. But there's a few words that would probably make sense for you to lock away in the back of your head somewhere. Be able to pull them out and impress people later. Now, one of them is subsidence. So when you have high pressure, so low pressure, we think of as air flowing into it, and that air's got to go somewhere, so it goes up. Well, high pressure is kind of just the opposite. Pressure's coming down, so that air's got to go somewhere, it goes out. But that it's that column of air above, it's actually moving down. So low pressure, generally, the vertical motion around it, or you know near it, that core, is up. High pressure is the reverse. So subsidence is what we call that. And the stronger the high pressure, the more powerful it is, if you will, you can, that subsidence can be pretty substantial. And it can create something called an inversion layer. Now, in temperature inversions are not exclusive to high pressure systems, but they can happen with high pressure. They can also happen with frontal boundaries. But for the cases we're going to talk about today, my guess is, at least one of them I know it was the case where, where the high pressure was involved. The other one, it was probably... Um, the high pressure that helped with the inversion layer. But you you will have heard, like if you live in Los Angeles and you think about smog problems or Santiago, Chile, right, where I've spent time, temperature inversions are what caused that problem. And this all has to do, I'm going to give you guys a new term, PBL. You can throw around an acronym. It stands for Planetary Boundary Layer. And it's not uncommon in the atmosphere, the lower levels of the atmosphere, for us to get temperature inversions in what we call kind of at the top of the planetary boundary layer. And this happens because in that little PBL, they are not act necessarily the same way it does above. When it's above, things mix a little better because you don't have the planet getting in the way. But down in the PBL, things get in the way. Things are impacted by drag of the planet, even the winds. You know, it, the friction, you know, captures the wind and plants and rocks and mountains and trees and buildings or whatever you will. So all those things impact the weather differently than where it's kind of free flowing above that, that layer. So it's not uncommon to see an inversion at the top of the PBL. And, and actually, there's another thing that comes into play. But it's again, it's kind of this little layer where we see these problems in that at night, you know, it cools off and it tends to cool off underneath first so you and this is part of what leads to these problems like in Santiago where we had these temperature inversions you get colder air near the surface a little warmer above and as we've talked about before warm air rises cold air doesn't and so that cold air gets kind of trapped right now usually during the course of the day as the earth heats up or if the sun's out a lot of times it'll burn off that layer and you know, kind of get things where they're mixing differently. So a lot of times in areas you may, that tend to suffer from morning inversions, a lot of times you'll see that change during the course of the day. But in any case, temperature happen. They can happen for a variety of reasons. Like I said, some is, is topography oriented. Sometimes it just is the nature of, of the planetary boundary layer. And sometimes it's driven by these strong high pressure systems. But in any case, subsidence, inversions, keep both of those in the back of your head. All right. Planetary boundary layer introduced you to it. Now, 
Some people are very familiar with these ideas, and actually one of the best write-ups I saw on this whole topic had to do with agriculture. And it was an extension service out of a university. I think it was University of Minnesota. It'll be in the show notes. It's a good summary. And they were talking about applying of pesticides and about what temperature inversions can do to the dispersion behavior in the atmosphere and how it can mess up pesticide application. And actually, I was talking with a, a family member. It was yesterday, Thanksgiving, of all things. I was telling him a little bit about, about the stuff, and he was saying, oh, yeah. You know, we learned with, with chemical stuff. He's in law enforcement, but, but deals with, you know, kind of bombs and weapons and those sort of things. And so he, he was very aware of how inversions can impact chemical movement in, you know, in the atmosphere. So oddly enough, you know, not a weather person by, by nature, but this topic was certainly in his head. So there are clearly a lot of people that do think about it. Again, temperature inversion can happen any day. Clear, thunderstormy, doesn't matter. They can happen for a variety of causes, like I said. And they create these behaviors and make the atmosphere behave a little differently. But let's just talk about, for a moment, Atlanta, because that's what we're going to talk about first. So Atlanta tends to have this morning temperature inversion issue. Most mornings, actually, if you look at the profile of the atmosphere above Atlanta. It's not uncommon to see what we call a little bit of a nose. If you're looking at these graphs, we call them a skew T. Don't, I, I can digress. Whole course on that, right? But these little graphs are, you kind of see as you look at this graph, the line as it goes up the page is really kind of representing the atmosphere. And we see these little noses during the surface. And a lot of times later in the day, that nose isn't present because the earth has been heated up and things mix and change. All right. So morning more common you're going to see this. Now, on Monday morning, they were all certain they needed to do this implosion, right? They were, it had to happen, had to happen. So, you would think that they would have planned for this. And they seem to, right? So, they put these big screen up. So, we got the old building and the new building. Parts of it are only 100 feet away from the old building. That's, I mean kind of humorous to me so they put this big screen up don't want any debris blowing this new building's got all sorts of glass a lot of ways to look out the building retractable roof all this other fancy stuff want to protect it old building really close by put a blow it up seek it so you think okay well the last thing i want to do is have anything get on that building but clearly they put that screen up right so they don't want anything to get on that building it's clear they don't want to get anything on that building. So what are what are ways that things could get on that building, right? Well, they took care of some of it. You know, the, the blast projects things sideways into the other building. But you'd think they'd go, okay, how about the cloud of stuff that is going to get kicked up? Now I realize they've probably taken some steps and hope that there's not going to be a big cloud of dust, but it's going to happen. You, you do a big implosion, big facility like that. You're going to get some movement of stuff into the air. And had somebody just looked at the weather report, they might have said, yeah, maybe tomorrow, maybe this afternoon. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, you know, and I was reading a little bit about, about demolition. And they do pay attention to the weather, but they tend to look at the bigger stuff we talked about at the beginning, right? Is there inclement weather coming in? Do we have some sort of ice or, 
you know, hazardous situation, thunderstorm or something like that. Think about it. But maybe, <laughs> and maybe they have in other places, and that's why you don't see that often. Pay attention to the weather when it seems like fair weather. So we just had this cold front pass through. This high pressure system was setting up so that the wind was blowing. Essentially, while it's usually, you know, cold front goes through, it tends to lead to kind of a wind coming from the northwest. But the way this high pressure was setting up is more of a northerly wind. Again, someone could have just opened their computer and seen that. It was a pretty brisk little wind in the morning. But the other thing that was really important in this case is there was a huge inversion. It meant there was really very little vertical motion that was going to happen from the surface. All right. Doesn't take much. Look at that. It's a one-minute look. Even to a you know to an average Joe, I could probably give you a plot that you'd look at and go, and just tell you, so inversion, if we see this, you're not going to get movement up. You know, think that with your cloud or whatever is going to be created with this. And you go, okay, this is not the scenario to do it. And for, like I said, I can't imagine the amount of money spent on this. You would hope somebody would have looked at that. We want to keep this new building clean and bright and glassy and all that. So they blow this thing up. And a few minutes later, you start to notice this cloud. Now, under normal circumstances in Atlanta, on, a, on an average day, not too much wind. The, the cloud probably would have dispersed naturally kind of into the atmosphere and would have risen. Yeah, some would have gone here, but it would have gone there and that sort of thing. But this building's 100 feet away, and it's just to the south of the other one. So this wind's coming out of the north. And no sooner they blow this thing up that this debris cloud, and I realize it's not the heavy stuff, but it's stuff big enough to make it look like a volcano had blown up starts moving over the dome this new facility the mercedes-benz stadium i don't even know if that's the i know it's mercedes-benz sponsors it and it covers the thing and actually it even you can see there's a great picture again show notes of it moving kind of down it almost looks like a snake as it creates this long narrow path going downstream because there's nowhere for this to go the atmosphere is set up for this cloud to not rise right and kind of stay at this level and be blown to the south. What was even humorous is within the course of the day, two people you know that I've mentioned before, Angela Fritz at Capital Weather Gang and Marshall Shepard, who, who writes for Forbes, both tend to write on weather events. Both had already written an article on this topic. I mean, it was like in the weather world, it was kind of the news of the day. It's really sad, right? You implode this big thing. You expect it all to go fine. The last thing you expect to be talking about is how the weather, how the weather that seemed like it was a non-weather weather, had completely created a situation you were trying to avoid, which is throwing all this stuff over. Now, I realize it's not big bricks or anything like that, but it's a glass building, a lot of glass. And don't tell me it's all magically self-cleaning. Maybe it's for the cost it should be, right? So now it's got all this stuff on it. And no, we haven't had any rain to clean it off. And no, we're not going to have any rain anytime soon to clean it off. It's just unfortunate. I don't, again, it could have been avoided so easily in my mind. So if you're in the demolition industry, pay attention. This stuff can happen. Now, that one was a little bit on the comical side. Like I said, you'd already had the Marta bus, so there was a lot of people already kind of chirping about it, and it was good fodder. Do I think anything long-term horrible happened? No. 
Hopefully there weren't any, I don't think the Georgia Dome had any asbestos in it or anything else. But quite frankly, if you were, you know, downstream of this thing, where the, where the wind was blowing, I, you know, they should cover your car wash at a minimum because it does not look like it was a good place to be. I mean, it showed up, it was strong enough signal, it was a strong enough signal, and it was actually, the, the inversion was so low that part of the cloud even was split around the building. That's how capped this airflow was. You could even see that on satellite. You'll see, if you go and read a couple of those two stories that I put in the show notes, you'll see that. So it was kind of like the perfect non-storm, if you will. So sometimes a non-storm can be just as problematic, depending on what you're trying to do. But it's a reminder to not be fooled into thinking, oh, just because it's not raining or snowing or hailing or hurricaning or tropical cycloning or blizzarding or whatever it is, doesn't mean that it's not problematic. So then part two. And this story, I, I had seen a little bit here and there, but it was kind of funny because it, it, it sort of came up on Monday. Russia acknowledged, or at least their meteorological agency acknowledged, that just maybe they had seen signs of this radioactive cloud that first they denied, that the Europeans had been clamoring out for a couple months. Apparently late September, a radioactive cloud started making its way from Eastern Europe over to Italy and France. And the source looked most likely to be from Russia. And it was a type of radiation, mind you, that doesn't occur naturally. There, I mean, there are types of radiation that can occur naturally. But what you may not realize is a lot of these, what I would call more professional-grade weather monitoring stations, can tell you a little bit more about what's coming their way than just how much rain or what, what direction the wind's blowing. They do have these stations that monitor things like different types of radiation and, the, and literally the type of radiation such that they could tell that it was man-made. So here you had, for, a, I guess, a good month and a half, Rush said, oh, we don't know nothing about it. Or so that was the official story. And it was interesting that it was their meteorology agency that said, oh, our stations denoted it as well. Now, they're claiming there was no accident, and there may not have been. But keep in mind, very close to where the source of this thing supposedly happened, there's a site, nuclear site, that was home to one of the worst nuclear accidents ever. I mean, there, there aren't many, right, thankfully. But it had a bad one back in the 50s, I think. And so now it is no longer what it was. It is a processing station where they deal with old nuclear f- fuel, right? And I, I don't know exactly the process, but let's just say it's a processing, re, what they call reprocessing plant. Now, you would think that they'd have some sort of safeguards about radiation, and they've claimed there's been no accident. Now, I'd like to throw at you a little theory of mine that maybe, just maybe, that their process isn't uh, 100% clean. Now, I don't know if that's true. And, I, you know, what we do know is man-made. What we do know is the sources in Russia. What we do know is they claim there was no accident. And that, to me, is actually more disturbing than saying, yes, there was an accident. Because if you say there's an accident, there's at least a basis for saying it's not a recurring problem. Now, they're going to say, well, you know, it only happened this one time. But what we don't know, we don't know. And I'll tell you why we don't know. And, yeah, no, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is a weather theory. So we have something in Russia called the Siberian High, another big high-pressure system. And it sits near the Himalaya Mountains, 
kind of near Mongolia, China, Eastern Russia. And it's very, it becomes particularly strong in the wintertime. This is one of those semi-permanent features I've mentioned in the past. Like last year, I was talking about the Aleutian Low that was driving some of these atmospheric rivers around Alaska, different things. I don't want to get, again, back too much in the science. But long and the short of it is, got this big high pressure. Some of the strongest high pressure on the planet is recorded there. Actually, the levels that we don't, for instance, see in North America. But these things, the key thing to keep in mind with this high pressure system is these things move a little bit. It's not like they hang out in one place. And they change in terms of their magnitude. So sometimes a little stronger, sometimes a little weaker. And on this day, it's a little weaker, a little east this day, right before this cloud started showing up in Europe. And what that allowed for was a secondary thing to happen. You got this another secondary high-pressure area, very strong over Scandinavia. Now, this dominant Siberian high-pressure system, where this reprocessing plant is, or where the source is, if you will, generally means that that location tends to get winds from the, the southwest to the west. All right? Just it's set up in this kind of clockwise flow. However, on this day, or right around that time, because I did go back and look at the weather maps, the Scandinavian high changed all that. So instead, winds were coming more from the east and the northeast. And what do you know? They were pushing airflow right over there towards the parts of Eastern Europe and Italy and France that had seen <laughs> this magical radioactive cloud. And on top of that, it was a very strong high-pressure system, which also suggests there might have been some subsidence in play, keeping this cloud and the behavior going on around that plant a little closer to the ground than normal. So my speculation with this plant is what no, no process is pure. But maybe a little radiation gets out every now and then. But, you know, it, it dissipates into the atmosphere. And the normal setup is not in such a way that would really keep things close to the ground. I don't know if there was a temperature inversion at play in this specific. I haven't looked at the vertical profiles. Maybe I'll do that when I got all this spare time, right? But it's possible. But at a minimum, the airflow was different than normal. So my speculation is between substance going on with a high pressure, some sort of temperature inversion, and certainly with the flow of the air, that things got mixed up a little. And if there's no accident, like I said, it's maybe even more disturbing because that would suggest that maybe this processing plant ain't doing things so clean and you're getting some escapage there. Now, they did say that even in the, the stations that were measured where it was really close, it wasn't. I don't know. I don't want to think about the, the terminology. They said, well, it wasn't our worst level. I'm like thinking to myself, well, if your worst level is like everybody's dead, I don't know what the second worst level is. No matter what. seems like there might be something a little fishy going on around that plant. Because what they also said is, well, the readings at the plant weren't as high as away from the plant. Well, I'm like, well, depending on how the setup of the weather was, maybe the problem was a little downstream. You know, maybe, maybe the the strongest push down of the weather was not near where you were, but a little south of where you were to where it ended up getting stronger a little away from where the processing plant is. Again, I, you know, I don't want to say I know this definitively, but it is clear to me, especially if there wasn't an accident. I mean, that's the thing. If somebody's just going to, if it's, this is from this plant and it's on a regular basis, hmm, maybe they ought to do a little less processing on the day when the wind's coming out of the northeast. 
because we may see this sort of problem again. Or maybe they need to be thinking about it when there's a little bit of an inversion going on, which uh, there's a good chance that's what was going on. Some creepy stuff. High pressure, folks. I know. You look at your weather app and you see a little a little sunshine and you go, oh, we're all good. But trust me, it does. Like I said, you know, I was talking about those industries, but there are others. Agriculture's one. Firefighters hate this kind of stuff. Santa Ana winds, very famous winds here in in the U.S. And it's not exclusive to the U.S. that this setup, but it dries the air out more prominent for forest fires, changes the wind flow from a normal direction. So an area that may usually get breezes from the coast that gets it from inland and makes it much hotter. So it can have all sorts of plays that you don't think about. And yeah, there are people like these that I mentioned that are thinking about it. And it sounds like there should be a few more. But just be aware that sometimes even the sneaky weather can catch you off guard. Have you ever had, I I don't know, I'm curious, have you ever experienced some sneaky weather that, uh, Caught you off guard. Nothing like, you know, big blizzard or anything. I mean, I can think of an event when I was a kid that kind of a snowstorm fell upon us. You know, Atlanta, we have to always take these snowstorms with a little bit of a, yeah, maybe we'll see it. But we had had some really cold temperatures, so schools had been out because of that. And some friends of mine and I went out to have some have some food at a place that was not right exactly around the corner from home. And we were, not, we were dressed for cold. We weren't dressed for snow, I can tell you that much. And we sat down and we started eating. And it was it 15 minutes later? There's two inches of snow on the ground. And for people in tennis shoes, well, wet tennis shoes is not fun for hiking over a mile in the snow, especially when it was already cold outside. Weather ever sneaked up on you? Let me know. Reach out to me. What is it about the weather at gmail.com or what is it about the weather.com slash contact? Like to hear about any sneaky weather, anything that caught you off guard. And it doesn't have to be severe. It could just be, you know, it could be a high-pressure event that maybe blew things in a different way that you weren't planning on. I mean, people who do sports or golf or anything like that, a high-pressure system like the ones I described can have a, a real impact on the game. Or some event that you had planned and you just weren't counting on this thing. I don't know. Let me know. In any case, holiday weekend, we're going to call it a weekend. We're going to let you guys get on with your weekend. As I said at the top, Thank you for all of you that are supporting the podcast. What is about the weather.com slash support? You can learn more about it there. Hey, and that satellite launched. The one I mentioned first, it was the battery. Then it was the weather. Well, apparently the weather cooperated. And this is the first new satellite in a series of these polar orbiters that I mentioned that hopefully will continue to improve our ability to give ever improving weather forecast. So until next time, whether you be in low-pressure, tropical cyclone, thunderstorm, blizzard conditions, or in these balmy, high-pressure, seemingly non-problematic setups. Just remember, as always, and as maybe a couple people should have remembered this week that didn't, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. This is two production. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreon.com slash weather.